friends. You're listening to JOY, a podcast from St. Margaret's Episcopal Church in Little Rock, Arkansas. I am the Reverend Mary Vano, and today I'm going to speak with my good friend, the Reverend Austin Rios. Austin and I started seminary together 20 years ago, and oh my, it has been a journey since then. Since seminary in Texas, Austin has served in Mexico and North Carolina, and for the past eight years, he has been the rector of St. Paul's Within the Walls in Rome, Italy. So he is joining us from across the globe today. Welcome, Austin. Thanks so much, Mary. It's a pleasure to be with you for this episode. I'm excited about it. So Austin, being an American Episcopal priest in Rome is kind of an unusual gig. Tell us more about what you do. Being the rector of St. Paul's and executive director of the Joel Nafuma Refugee Center combines the spiritual and the administrative aspects of leading a normal Episcopal church with the challenges of guiding a nonprofit organization. As you said before, I've been here for a little bit over eight years. And one of the things I most enjoy about this specialized situation is that sense of holding both of these priorities before our parishioners and our constituents. Our worshiping communities, like it's a multicultural, multinational, and multilingual, and that diversity is a constant reminder of the great tapestry of the body of Christ. Likewise, the guests that we welcome during the week in our refugee center come from all over the world. And even though it's extremely important for us to respect the religious diversity of all of our guests and our volunteers and our staff who make up our center and our, make our services and our programming possible, There's a fundamental core of hospitality and welcome that form the heart of my understanding of Christianity and which is a key component of our center's life. I truly enjoy, I love witnessing how worship and action are intertwined through St. Paul's and the JNRC. And I enjoy working with all the folks who want to be a part of our efforts. I think it's interesting that your ministry really centers around people who are away from their homes. They are travelers, they are refugees. Some of your people will be with you a short time as they pass through. Others are establishing a new home. And of course, you yourself are like them. You've moved your family to take care of other families who are on the move. So what are the unique needs of such a community? And what's the same? When you and I were training for this strange vocation all those years ago, most Episcopal churches that I knew were places that were multi-generational communities rooted in a specific context. That meant that you were likely to baptize a grandchild of a matriarch and witness multiple generations of folks from the same family who attended church, who supported the church financially, and who passed it on to subsequent generations. Partly because of the worldwide shift regarding church affiliation that we witnessed over the last decades of the 20th century and the first couple of the 21st, and partly due to the more mobile society that technological advancement enables, these kinds of churches are less common. There was a time when St. Paul's was filled with Americans who were heading up international corporations or who were working in one of the embassies here in Rome. A higher percentage of those expats were Episcopalian, and St. Paul's would have been a natural fit for them. But these days, those same corporate jobs are held by Italians who may or may not come to us based on our primary service being in English or because of the Roman Catholic cultural context that most Italians come from. But those who do come to us do so because they appreciate our way of worship that is rooted in Catholic liturgy. And they also appreciate that church is not just about going through the motions here, but rather about linking head and heart and hand in the midst of a supportive community. Having St. Paul as our patron saint works really well for this, as he modeled and preached this kind of community wherever he went. 
So in a community of folks who don't always share the same language, who don't always share the same cultural upbringing, and who definitely don't share the same assumptions about what being faithful requires, it's very important to find something that can be shared in common. That is what scripture and liturgy were made for. And so they take a central place in our life. Scripture and liturgy, I think, do ground all of us. And it's amazing how those central aspects of our community life can be transported almost anywhere. So both in North Carolina and in Rome, you have done a significant amount of work with people for whom life is not easy immigrants and refugees. Like other travelers, they've also left home, but they haven't necessarily been welcomed at their destinations. What unique challenges do they face? Ooh, so many. Besides the fact that circumstances for the guests of the JNRC, the circumstances in their home countries were bad enough that they were forced to leave family and friends and their lives behind in order to make an arduous and sometimes deadly journey. Upon arrival, they often face the hardships associated with racism, language and cultural barriers, and the startup challenges of rebuilding their lives in a foreign land. The immigrants that I worked with in the States faced a lot of those same challenges, but were often helped by supportive communities of family and friends who had made the journey previously and could assist someone who had just recently arrived. Most refugees arriving in Rome don't have as many established networks of support that they can rely on. This is one of the reasons that our center seeks to be such a place of support and help guests take those first steps toward their new lives. Most of our guests would have preferred to remain in their countries of origin, but hardship and circumstances required them to take this trip. Sacrament, grace, mercy are universal languages that can go wherever. It's terrible that people are forced to make such journeys, but we do find in Scripture other people of faith who have had to take journeys like this. I'm thinking of Adam and Eve who had to leave Eden, of Abraham who was called by God to leave his homeland. Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt to the promised land. Leaving home in order to go to a new place is a common part of our shared human experience, but it also seems to be an essential piece of our spiritual journey, leading us toward union with God, which I think is how we get to the notion of pilgrimage being a kind of spiritual discipline for people of faith. Absolutely. I think there's definitely a link between the concept of pilgrimage and the hard journeys of refugees and immigrants, even though the way in which we often think of those experiences are quite different. I also think there's a big gap between pilgrims and tourists. That's a distinction that I see quite often here. We get pilgrims all the time here in Rome who come to reconnect with the roots of their faith and to be transformed in some significant way. And we also get a lot of tourists. We miss them right now in this time. We wish they would be back because the economy is suffering without them. However, tourists primarily come to consume the sites and to check them off their list, maybe to eat some great pasta and some of our famous and exquisite wine. But then they go back to their regular lives, relatively full but unchanged. 
In the case of the journeys of our guests in the center, those whose travel is not optional if they want to stay alive, the desire for transformation is more closely linked with pilgrimage rather than tourism. And they probably understand the whole concept of take nothing extra with you on your journey that Jesus spoke of, and which is a fundamental component of pilgrimage better than the majority of modern day pilgrims that I've met. So pilgrimage is a spiritual discipline, one in which we are intentionally seeking some kind of growth in our relationship with God. It seems to me that we could break down the concept of pilgrimage into a few necessary steps. There's leaving home. This is the part where you pack up only what you absolutely need and leave the rest behind. Again, some of us get to choose to leave home. Others don't get that privilege. And those would be very different experiences. But even for those who choose to go, leaving can be scary. It's leaving behind what we know, what we place our security in. So it takes some spiritual gumption, if you will, to be willing to let go and move and leave. Then there's the part of pilgrimage that is about following, which is about trusting yourself to God going to places unknown because you trust that God has some purpose for you in it. Journeys usually bring some risk. Things can happen on the road that you don't expect. And so following is about letting God take the lead and trusting that you're in God's good hands. Then there's the part where you see something new. If we never leave home, our world becomes really too small. So pilgrimage is an opportunity to see the world with different eyes, to meet different people, to be exposed to new ideas. And that's the part I think that can really change us when we're open to new things. And then there's the part of pilgrimage that is about returning home. Pilgrimage is a temporary experience, but it is also meant to be transformative. You drew a nice distinction between tourists that kind of consume like a meal and you come home full and then, you know, you digest it all. You're fundamentally the same. But with pilgrimage, we should be different from that newness to which we have been exposed. When we return home, whether we do that literally or figuratively, what we're doing is we're returning to normalcy, but in some way we have been made new in the pilgrimage. Yeah, I think that's a really helpful framework, good components to think about when it comes to describing what pilgrimage really is. Pilgrimage means expecting to remain open to however God might be communicating with you, and then working to integrate what you've learned from that openness into your life. My experience with tourism is that after a tourist experience, you can remain virtually unchanged, but after going on a pilgrimage, life can never be as it was before. after I broke down the concept of pilgrimage there, the leaving, the following, the seeing something new, the returning home, that I actually left out the destination. It makes me think that maybe the destination isn't necessarily the point of the experience. It is in tourism, but in pilgrimage, the destination is kind of a subsidiary, I think. Christianity actually no longer has prescribed traditions of pilgrimage. There's no expectation, for example, that we travel to the Holy Land or anything like that. Not that I wouldn't love to go to the Holy Land sometime, 
But without such traditions, I also hate for people of faith to miss out on the spiritual value that pilgrimage can bring. I had the opportunity to take a pilgrimage as part of a sabbatical a few years ago. We went to London, Paris, and Italy, and we were traveling specifically to see various paintings of the Holy Family. That was kind of the destination of the pilgrimage, to see these various paintings. But the actual point of the pilgrimage was to have holy time with my family. And the journey was such an incredible gift. It also happily gave us the chance to stay with you for a few days in Rome. That was the best. We had such a good time. You know, that was toward the end of our trip and we were really tired. But what you gave us that we, we could not get anywhere else was that with you, we got to go stay in your home. Asia fixed us a beautiful meal. You took us to find the best gelato in the city. And that was just such a wonderful thing. You, Austin, have traveled way more than I ever have. Do you have a favorite pilgrimage experience? I don't know if I would say favorite, but I definitely would say I have some notable ones, ones that have stood out to me. You talked about how there's no prescribed pilgrimage experiences that we have to complete as Christians. But there are some that are linked up with, as you mentioned, the Holy Land is one, and the Camino de Santiago is one that has gained momentum in our generation from people who are not, probably call themselves spiritual and not religious, but also folks who have felt a close connection to their Catholic faith or their Christian faith and want to do something that is a designated pilgrimage. I've been fortunate to get to go on the Camino de Santiago twice one in a shorter version with college-age students and another time with a small group of spiritual friends from here in Rome and also from around the world. And so both of those experiences were fantastic, different in the way that they played out, an aspect that connected them both. But I learned more the second time because it was a longer period of time. We went from Lisbon to Santiago. So it was a pretty long journey, the length of Portugal all the way to Galicia. And you start to realize when you have multiple days, 40 days about in a row, 30 plus days, and you only have to get from point A to point B, there's a lot of space for conversation, much like the conversation that we're having now. And turns out when you gather and you make time for the kind of deep reflection that walking in silence provides, and then the words that naturally emanate when you're sharing the road with someone, the Holy Spirit can do some pretty amazing things enlighten you in ways that you never could have thought of before. That's an amazing gift of the experience that I had on the Camino. One aspect that has definitely changed the way that I live my life and also the way I conceive of any other future backpacking trip is that if you've overpacked for fear of not having something, whatever, like extra clothes, if you're worried about something and you've overpacked and filled your bag with a lot of things that you think are necessary, but maybe aren't necessary, then part of the learning of the Camino is that you have to suffer every step of the way because of that extra weight until you either give up and decide to get rid of that thing because you don't really need it after all, or say that that weight is worth it. I totally like spent all my time trying to figure out exactly what to bring. And I ended up bringing two pairs of long underwear, which this was a summer trip. <laughs> One was necessary because the temperature fluctuates and it's a light garment that was helpful, but I had two of them. And so I had to carry that extra little bit of weight, but wait, the whole time. A buddy of mine brought along a hardback cover of the Brothers Karamazov. And let me tell you, that was some, 
<laughs> he was uh, he was definitely suffering. That was an important thing to carry for him, but definitely came with some suffering. That's an aspect in which, you know, the idea of what do we really need? What can we leave behind? That to me was a really helpful aspect of learning on the Camino. But as you mentioned before, the Holy Land is also a wonderful experience. Part of it that was most helpful to me was a chance to explore the foundational moments in the geography of our faith. I'm a person who really likes maps. I like to understand the relationship of something on a map to you know, the physical geography. And being in Galilee and seeing it so much smaller than I imagined it in my mind. I mean, as someone born in Texas and who spent as you know, a ton of time out in West Texas and Big mm-hmm. Bend, my concept of distance and space between objects is Texas-sized. Big. <laughs> the Holy Land is not Texas-sized. <laughs> exactly. The Holy Land is not Texas-sized. It's much smaller than that. And it's human scale is what I would say. That was a thing I could only experience in the way my mind and like kind of understanding works by being there. I think another aspect, because of the, again, the conversational aspect between people who are choosing to be open to whatever is happening in that moment, when you get a group of people like that together, and then you combine that with the shared revelation of scripture, and you have conversations about those things together, you start to get to really honest conversations that sound really different than the kind of chatter that we're used to in our world, the noise. It's musical rather than noise, and that's a really wonderful gift of pilgrimage, and my Holy Land pilgrimages have definitely done that with people from very different contexts. So it wasn't just people who were resonating the same way that I was. That was really, really helpful. is not an option for many of us, sadly. Do you think that this means, this lack of travel, does it mean that we can't experience pilgrimage right now? Or is there a creative way that we can think about our spiritual journeys during this time? I think we can experience pilgrimage. I think, I mean, this sounds weird to say, but I think this is a time in which we actually have a chance to engage our spiritual lives in a way that we've not been able to previously. Again, because of the normal rhythms of our life or the noise that we're so used to hearing. I mean, no one has to take advantage of that time this way. I mean, I've experienced during these many months that there are days in which I am filling my time with just as much busyness and activity, and I still have to be intentional about making time for prayer and for quiet and reflection and things like that. It doesn't just naturally flow from this time. It still has to be a choice. I think everyone could use this time to experience and to be open to what God is speaking to them right now in this moment. How is God speaking within the challenges of lives lived on the inside? Uncomfortable situations in which we're all pressed together. That can be really hard. And there's no denying the stress that comes from living the way that we're living right now, to be safe and to be healthy and to care for others. So the kind of pilgrimage that anyone who's listening to this right now could go on might not be out in the physical world, but there are ways to explore how physical distance relates to social connection. 
There are ways in which we can wrestle with the fact that we're unable to gather the way that we're accustomed to, but maybe God is allowing us and opening up new ways for us to be community together and to live together and to grow together. Like I said, it's not an obvious journey. I think there's something about the physical aspect of moving in space Mm -hmm. in the pilgrimages that we talked about and I mentioned earlier that is important, but it's not necessary. If you've ever experienced that difference between pilgrimage and tourism in that kind of moving world, then you can apply those lessons to the inner journey as well. And I think that that's one of the most important things that we can do. I mean, that is what having a spiritual life is. We can consider always, and whether we can travel or not, we can always be thinking about what is it that we need to leave behind? How is it that we need to follow? What is God calling us to right now? What can we discover about our world that is new to us? And how will we allow that to transform us? There are, I will mention for our local listeners at St. Margaret's, we have a couple of opportunities that could be sort of miniature pilgrimages just on the ground. So you can just come to St. Margaret's anytime. We have a labyrinth, which is a walking experience. It's in the woods. It's a trail. There's an opportunity for you to spiritually consider your journey as you walk to the center of the labyrinth. That can be a really useful spiritual meditation. And another opportunity is our Stations of the Cross. Many of us are familiar with, we will typically walk the Stations of the Cross during Holy Week, but they're always there. The Stations of the Cross really started as a Jerusalem pilgrimage, and we have an opportunity on that path to walk and consider Jesus's path of suffering, which is also the path of life. So if you're around here in Little Rock, take advantage of those opportunities. I'm excited about the fact that you have opportunities that you just mentioned. The labyrinth is something that's been a really big help to me. Really does a good job of expressing the point that it's not about how much you're moving, how far you're going, but about whether that journey is inward, transformed, and then outward. That's the shape of our life. And I think that's a wonderful opportunity. I hope people take advantage of it. Also, I'm really thankful to have shared so much of this journey with you. It's been a joy. Oh, isn't that a blessing? I'm grateful for that as well, Austin. We've had 20 years of friendship now, and I hope many more ahead of us. I think though we often don't talk about it, pilgrimage is definitely worth thinking about because with a little intention and planning, it can be an experience that adds joy and meaning to our lives. This has been so much fun, Austin. Thank you for joining us today. I think our joy for today is complete. I also want to thank all of our listeners for being with us. Whether you're listening from home or from the road, I pray that God will bless your journey. If you have a question, comment, or idea, I would love to hear from you. Please do listen again next time. And remember that our J-O-Y is not complete without you. This is a production of St. Margaret's Episcopal Church in Little Rock, Arkansas. Thanks to Stephen Vano, who composed and performed our theme music, and to Heidi Soule, our producer. Music